Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Michigan Law in Chicago, joined by Rob Hunt of Lene Holdings in San Diego and our ever-trusty producer, Dan Humiston, and we are coming to you, well, it's live for us, from uh, MJ BizCon on the floor, uh, day three of the conference, and um, we're going to dive right into this, but before we do, uh, we just have a little bit of Grateful Dead for you to listen today because we're going to be talking about this conference. Uh, Dan, go ahead and spin that intro tune that's pretty perfect for today. And that, of course, is the Grateful Dead from Las Vegas. Uh, I want to say it was uh, 1992 yep. when um, they started making all the slot machine noises. So for everyone that was at that show, you'll definitely remember it. And it was kind of a perfect, um, appropriate way to, to celebrate the fact that they're in Las Vegas. So money, money, money. Uh, here we are back in Las Vegas. Uh, no longer for dead shows, but for, you know, I don't know how many times you've come down here for MJ Biz. But I think this is number six or seven for me uh, since they moved the, uh, the show to this venue. Yeah, uh, uh, in Vegas, it's been what now, I guess, eight years at least, I think, hasn't it? I know the first year was in Denver, second year was in Seattle, and I think ever since then, and starting in 94, it's been here. Well, it started where? At the Rio, I think. Right, yeah, they were the, the old conference center, and they moved it over here, I think, the next year. Yep. Got super big by, like, 2017, 18. I think they took one year off for COVID. Last year was, like, sort of a, a half show because a lot of people were still afraid of, uh, of coming back, but I don't know about you, man. It's back. This thing is it's going off out there. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of people here. They've done an excellent job in promoting the show, as they always do. And I think there were a lot of people, quite frankly, that were on the fence, and they were waiting to hear what other people were going to do. And apparently that broke very well uh, because there are just a huge number of attendees here. Uh, I mean, it, you know, I remember being in a, in a racetrack clubhouse with, you know, one floor and about 15 or 20 exhibitors. Now they've got the entire South Hall on the first floor and the second floor one end of the building to the other, filled with as many exhibitors as I've ever seen. Yeah, me too. I mean, <clears throat> I've just walked the floor a little bit for the first time. Um, like a lot of people, I think over the last couple of years, a lot of people come to MJ Biz and actually never even set foot on the convention floor. They do all their business in suites at you know various hotels around the Strip. But uh, you know they might make their way over here for a little bit. But today was the first day I've actually gotten to walk the floor, and I'm I'm pretty well blown away just by the sheer volume of uh, of attendees with booths. It's you know, it's as big as I've ever seen. It's as big as any canvas show I've ever seen. Uh, even on the final day, when normally you expect to see everyone start migrating out, uh, there's a lot of people in this room right now. There are, and what's even more impressive, I think, is that all the exhibits are still up. You know, a lot of times I remember walking in on Friday and half the exhibits have already been taken down. These people are expecting a decent crowd to still come through today. Yeah, I think so too. And just based on the taxi line of, of drop-offs, you know, that, that gave a pretty good sense. But um, one thing I'll say that I noticed is a lot of it seems to be companies that are supporting the industry. It, it doesn't seem to be you know the way Hall of Flowers is, where it's just the brands themselves. It seems to be a lot of companies that are you know technology based or um, or packaging based or it's other things that are really supporting the industry that make the industry stronger. Um, and also, I think we've got the addition of a, a fair amount of hemp at this point, and we've got a fair amount of psychedelics as well. So they've certainly expanded the scope of the space. The psychedelics, they must have been listening to our show last week because, uh, it, you know what, but it's great to see. And, and it, it's, 
you almost don't notice. Oh, there's your fan base again. Did you uh, hear all those girls? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they were, right before we went on, they were chanting Larry, Larry. So okay. they were. Dan, if you can see if you can calm those girls down, it's me a couple minutes, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we're gonna get that a few more times. Like, so for all the all of you that can't see where we are right now. Uh, we've got these clear windows that surround our podcast booth right now, and every time people walk by and they catch a uh, sight of Larry Michigan, it's nuts. So I'm guessing as soon as we get out, there's gonna be like some sort of a lineup to uh, to take pictures. Kind of like last night we had dinner and we saw Selena's brother and taking pictures with everyone at El Taco's Gordo, huh? Well, I have to say, uh, I was sitting in my hotel room last night wondering what I was going to do for dinner, and my co-host and reached again. out. And, and by the way, all these people who are yelling Larry, Larry, Larry are doing it because they hope I will introduce them to Rob. So. You know, let's let's just be clear about what's going on out here, folks. Well, but having said that, yes, Tacos El Gordo just became my favorite place to eat in Las Vegas, and it was tremendous. I had a pass on the eyeballs and the brain, but I thought the beef was wonderful, and uh, it was it was the perfect call for nine o'clock out in Las Vegas on a school night. Excellent place to be. So uh, I'll. A lot of people, when they come to Las Vegas, they think about the cuisine. They only think about you know, eating the places on the strip. And they think about all the celebrity chefs that have opened up their restaurants from you know, L.A. restaurants or New York restaurants out here in Vegas. But if you actually get off the strip, there is a ton of good places. So I went to an amazing Thai restaurant the other night uh, in Green Valley. Uh, actually, I can't remember the exact area. Spring Valley, maybe. But fantastic. And there's a ton of great Asian food here. And there's a ton Which of- Thai place was it? Uh, I think it was called Weir Thai, like W-E-E-R-E or something like that. Like, we are Thai. But it was, uh, it was terrific. <laughs> and then El Taco's Gordo, you know, was, was last night. But I haven't really eaten on any of the restaurants on the Strip. And I can tell you, I'm a lot happier for it. So it's been a really fun experience in Vegas of, like, getting away from the hype, getting away from the scene. Um, we get plenty of that when we, you know, come onto the convention floor. But, uh, you know, Vegas for the, for the Vegas show, if you actually, you know, step out of your comfort zone, there's a lot of cool stuff out here. I, I agree. Um, the reason why I asked, because my favorite Thai restaurant in the world is Lotus of Siam, which is here, which is just, for a long time, it was, it was tucked away in some little rundown shopping mall, and nobody would like to go there, except for those of us that knew it. it it's a great Thai restaurant. It has the best wine list of any restaurant I've ever been in, which you would not necessarily expect from a Thai restaurant, but it's great. And we were, our highlight was we were all there one year with the Hoban Group, and Jim Belushi came in, so we all had a chance to take our pictures with him and smile and all that kind of stuff. But I figure if it was good enough for him, um, and, and normally I'm not a big uh, celebrity guy either, but I do have to give a good shout out to my buddy Carmi Weinzweig, who Wednesday night was kind enough to include me in his party of luminaries who got to dine in the kitchen table at Delmonico's. Um, and so that was quite an event with uh, 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 tastings and wine pairings, uh, something far above my pay grade in terms of you know, being able to really comprehend exactly what I was getting, except that it was delicious. And so it was a lot of fun. Thank you to Carmi. Thank you to the lovely folks at Delmonico's who took such good care of us. Somebody else wants to take me? I'm in all day. It's amazing how far we've come since our days. It's lots of fun, isn't it? You know, it's <laughs> starting off there in the early 90s, and now your you're kitchen table uh, with the chef at Delmonico. You know, 30 years ago, would you expect, Larry, that this is where your, your Vegas career would have taken you? Not at all. Um, in fact, you know, I, 30 years ago, couldn't have possibly imagined I would be doing this at this time. I could sit around and think about how much fun that would be, uh, but I don't think it was ever really taken seriously. And that is one of the things that every time I come out here, I really do try to acknowledge the fact that, you know, oh, it's a long flight. Oh, there's big crowds. This is for marijuana, man. This is everybody coming to town and everybody knows it. You know, it's like it's the marijuana folks at the hotels. They know it. Although, let me just say that these hotels are really getting to be a pain in the ass for those of us that like to, you know, smoke a little marijuana from time to time. 
you know, they, they started out with the $200 rule and you had to sign a whole bunch of stuff. Now it's $500 and in, they, there's a warning when you walk into the room that they now have extra sensitive smoke detection equipment out. And I literally, were by the vent in the bathroom, which is where you typically blow your hit, they've got a smoke detector right there. So you can't do it. I'm like, come on guys, you sell marijuana. I can't smoke it on the street. I can't, where, where am I supposed to smoke it if I can't smoke it in my hotel room and I'm not allowed to take it home? So it's a nice little racket they got, but the hotels have been kind and they've set up smoking areas outside, which luckily is good weather, so that works. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, if you're going to have, if you're going to do this, we have to get to the point where this kind of stuff is just okay and nobody makes a big deal about it. Um, but having said that, I'm having a great time in Las Vegas. Uh, very excited to have a chance to be here and get to tape uh, live from the floor. And yeah, it, it's just absolutely amazing for me to see what has happened in eight years, nine years of going to these things where the people who are, there's people coming in who, I own a cultivation center, a small one here, but I need to come here because this is where everybody is. It's, it's, uh, it's like a gathering of the tribe, if you will, and everybody here is focused on this and not in the same way. So you can talk to 10 people and get 10 completely different perspectives on what's going on in the industry. That's absolutely true. And uh, I, I'm here to actually give you some great news today, Larry, because a very close friend of mine, Chanel Lindsay, has come up with a new device. Uh, and I'm going to plug it super hard right now that she's actually releasing at this show that's called the Billow. And the Billow is a carbon filter uh, device that you can bring with you. It looks like a CPAP machine that you can stick inside any hotel room or inside any dorm room, put joints in it, and uh, smoke it through a mask or smoke it through a tube and exhale back into it. No smoke comes out at all. All the smoke stays within this machine. And uh, nobody can detect that you've been smoking in a room or in a house or anything like that. And so the, uh, the first prototype of it that's being launched um, right now. So if you are worried about how Las Vegas treats you in your hotel room, the Billow. It is the same, um, same person that invented the, uh, the Nova, which is the decarboxylator for the industry. That is now you know, the staple of decar- decarboxylation. But Chanel has done it again and has now come out with the Billow as her new device to allow everyone to start smoking in places that otherwise do not allow smoking of either cigarettes or cannabis. Well, I'll tell you what, it sounds great. And I've heard of those devices before, and I will truly believe it when I use it in my house and my wife doesn't detect the smoke. Well, we're going to have to get you over to check this device out. Maybe after the podcast, once you sign the autographs and then you're done with like your fan base, uh-huh. we'll track Chanel down and see if we, uh, if we can't get her to show you what the device looks like, how it works. But, uh, but I can tell you it's generating a ton of buzz right now. Okay. 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 I hear that. I hear that. But that is the fun part. We, you know, there's, there's stuff here that after however many years of doing the smoking, I had no idea that some of this stuff existed. Some of these devices, new little bags, like little sacks that you can put your stuff in and seal it off and it holds all the smell in so you know you can walk around with it go through a security check and you know nobody's not not the tsa cares tsa doesn't look for marijuana we know that unless they accidentally find it but nevertheless it's uh, not a good idea yeah i still have a smell proof bag for exactly that reason you know when i go through anything i've got smell proof for it's, it, it looks like a dob kit but you know it works so the innovation that's one of the things that makes us um that makes all trade shows you know interesting but what have you seen while you've been here? Like anything that's caught your eye where you're like, wow, that's brand new. That's you know, something that's you know, really special that I haven't seen before. Um, the short answer is everything I see amazes me to some degree. I mean, look, some of it is just technical. And I see some of these machines and I, they just make a lot of noise. And I'm happy just to sit there and watch them flap up and down or whatever the hell they're doing. And I realize they serve some purpose. But even back in, in 2013, the machines that they had 
were so basic. It was like somebody had, had gone and found a, uh, a metal bucket and attached it to something and you know it would pour into this big thing that would spin around. Now you see these machines and they're like ultra high tech. You, you punch one button and it runs the whole system for you. You see in the back where it's got all the different nutrients and with tubes coming out of them and this and that. In fact, um, on uh, Wednesday I had a, ch a chance to go to uh, uh, Matrix NV, uh, NVLV, I think it is. Um, I'll get the name right in a minute with my good friend Joe Waller. And he showed me around out there, and, and, and really the stuff that I saw uh, blew me away, the level of technology that they have. Guys like, look, I can just push one button here, and it automatically adapts. If I, you know, it'll send me a signal if I'm at home, and I need to be able to go in and change things. I hit a button, boom, it gives 10% more of this and 5% less of that. That's a long way you know, from back in the day in Ann Arbor when... Uh, who the hell knew where they were growing it? But uh, <laughs> we need your phototron in the closet in college. If yeah. that, you know, yeah. I mean, whatever, whatever it was, wherever it was, uh, it didn't look like this. That's for sure. And they, they take me into the one of the grow rooms where where the, the plants are uh, probably at about four or five weeks, and they take me to another room where the you know the same uh, strain is at like eight weeks. And to see those tiny little buds that are just starting all of a sudden be these huge, big, beautiful buds with red hairs and all that stuff running through it. You know, it's 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 beyond guesswork now. You can you know, they know what they're doing from day one. They know what strain they're getting. They know how strong it's going to be. It's it's just absolutely incredible. And you know, it, once you make something legal like this, it motivates industry to, to sit down and start developing the equipment. And you know, the longer we go with this, I expect you know, it'd be a point where you can just do it in your own damn house, right? You grow your marijuana in the backyard, come in, throw it into a machine, it'll come out on the other end in pre rolls. I think that's a great idea. I think we should we should figure out how to make that last uh, that last leg work. But I, I've seen a lot of cool products. I mean, I, I gave you one yesterday. I think um, you know, Lowell just released their uh, their new thirty fives. Yes, those so, are great. Uh, that's probably the fastest um, adapted pre roll that I've seen in the market. It's a totally different form factor where it's not a cone shape, but it's a straight shape. Um, they've launched that now, I think, in four states, and we uh, got a chance to hang out with those guys a little bit yesterday, but that's a, a great product launch. You know, obviously, you know, my Forefront team, those guys are doing amazing product launches these days and just you know, introducing stuff into new markets, uh, whether it's infused pre-rolls or whether it's you know, the crystal clear uh, vape pens that we have at, at Forefront. There's just a, a, ton of, a ton of really interesting stuff that I'm seeing coming out that's not just on the, uh, the technology side, but it's on the product side as well. So there's a, a ton of new product innovation that you think like, you know, is there anything left to invent in this space? Is there anything new to do? Is there anything left to improve? And, uh, and the answer is that, yeah, consistently, like, I mean, my good buddy uh, Colin Palmer, who we've had on this show, you know, certainly did the, um, certainly did the, uh, the uh, solventless live resin, you know, packs uh, uh, pods as well. So, you know, those are hitting hard. So even, you know, this past calendar year, we're seeing a lot of new um, product innovation drops. Oh, yeah. We, we, got, we got P. Diddy now entering the industry as well, dropping, a, you know, $180 million to be the, uh, the first person as a, as a hip-hop mogul to really, you know, take a, an active ownership stand. Like, not the way Burner's done with just taking a rake and not the way that, you know, uh, Jay-Z has done through Khalifa. But this is, you know, like, I want in. I'm, I'm dropping a huge check and, uh, and, and now taking over. Uh, a fair portion of assets from a, from a business that sold them to him. So, you know, th there's a th there's a fair amount of change happening in the industry as far as you know again social perception. And I think that it gives it legitimacy. You know, because I think these guys, especially, uh, you know, P. Diddy, are going to be concerned enough about you know their reputation. Last thing in the world he can afford to do is associate himself with a bad marijuana product. That would pretty much kill his reputation. 
So you got, you know, it'd be like if Snoop was out there, you know, fronting a, a, a brand that nobody liked. You know, you, but I give him credit for doing his homework, finding a good brand. And look, if he wants to be an active owner and really put quality into it, he's demonstrated that he's he's very capable of, of putting out really good stuff. And he's a marketing genius. So he certainly knows how to, to hype things, you know. And I think that's one of the things that all the hip-hop guys bring to this game is that, you know, in terms of, uh, of, of getting excitement built around a product for most of those guys, you know, the music is secondary. It's it's the perception that's you know, or at least they're they're equally as important. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, but it, but I think it's great to see it happening with black artists, right? We've had plenty of white artists with their own strains, and you know, Santana and Willie Nelson and Garcia and Mickey Hart and everybody. Oh, it seems S- Santana and Garcia are both Latino, man. Well, true. Thank you. Uh, that's true. But uh, they're not black, and and it's great to see. Uh, a, a black superstar enter the game so publicly and so prominently because I think one of the things the industry has been doing from day one is fighting a perception that it's, you know, all a bunch of rich white people stepping in all of a sudden and taking over for an industry that for a long time had been a, a, a staple of the black community. And uh, we, we've all told the stories about uh, the large number of, of, of black people in, in uh, um low-income neighborhoods that wound up on the short end of the stick, whereas, you know, their white counterparts on the other side of town could get away with any of that kind of stuff without any trouble at all. And, you know, Chicago, Illinois, uh, social equity was a key part of the whole plan. It it didn't work out quite as well as they had hoped, but it's slowly but surely coming around. But if you get a guy like uh, Diddy in on this, right, I think that that sends a message to people of color that, hey, you know, this is an industry that we can be a part of. He's going to be a big shot in it from the beginning. I think that's one thing that's been great about the cannabis industry from the beginning, though, in, in many ways, is that it's a very welcoming industry. I, I look around right now, and I look around this, I mean, again, I can see a lot of the trade show floor right now. I, I see as many women as I see guys. I, I see a diversity in age where, you know, from age 21 to, you know, people in their 70s. Um, I see uh, people of all colors. I, I see people of all like, nationalities. All religions, yes. So I, I don't think that there's a um, that there's a, a stigma anymore as to you know who who's attracted to this category. I think it's pretty ubiquitous right now that you know everybody's uh, got a place in it. Which again, like I'm all about inclusion. So anytime I see a uh, an industry where people like say, look, I, f- I feel very much at home here. Uh, it's one of the things I've really enjoyed about you know being part of the cannabis industry, even even as the you know staple button down shirt wearing white guy. Well, I I don't disagree with that, but I think that there's a uh, dichotomy between what we who are, you know, up to our eyeballs in the industry see and see the progress that it's made and the public perception. And certainly the public perception among the black populations of major cities. You know, Illinois, when they started their medical program, there was Forefront, I think, was the only one of the only dispensaries on the south side of the city. That's right, the mission dispensary. dispensary. But it was owned by white guys, you know, and it was a white guy-owned dispensary. And I'm not rapping forefront for that that's you know they were smart enough to go into a place where there wasn't a lot of other competition and it really gave them a chance uh, you know to do well in those communities and and i'm big fan of all of those guys including you and i don't you know so it, but the point is that we were going to have social equity to introduce black owned businesses primarily into black owned into black neighborhoods to show the members of those communities that they are included that this is part of them that you know they should go out and support the industry and we'll see how it finally shakes out after this new round of licenses <clears throat> comes out whenever it's going to finally come out. I've, I've quit trying, you know, maybe next week, maybe a month. I mean, we know the licenses are out, but nobody on the dispensary side has gotten the green light as to when they can open their doors. So it's still a long slog there. But I think that if we can uh, demonstrate to all people, because it is, there, there is not, you can't find, I don't think, 
a, a group of people who have, have access to marijuana one way or another who there's not people right across the board who, who smoke it because it's a human thing. It's not a, it's not a, it's like taking medicine. I mean, it really is, right? The same medicine works for people everywhere, and marijuana works for people everywhere. Well, let's, let's talk about medicine for a second, because we got some big news coming out of the federal government in the last couple of days. I mean, for the first time, we've actually seen a, a bill that just passed both chambers of, uh, of Congress and is now moving to be signed uh, by President Biden, uh, specific to uh, the study of, of cannabis from a medical perspective. And you know, again, it might not be a huge thing for the industry uh, in terms of you know generating new dollars, but it's absolutely huge in terms of being the first standalone bill that's ever hit the president's desk ever in, in this whole experiment of legalized cannabis. Well, right, there's that part of it for sure, which is what we always talk about. That the uh, it's not a bipartisan issue, and you know, in this instance, people were able to do it. Now, I, I agree with you that in the past, the powers that be in the Senate and other chambers have have been road roadblocks to it, but I think that this is. Well, what it does is, for sure, is it ends this ridiculous catch-22 that always existed, right? Well, we can't legalize it because we don't know if it's safe, but we can't find out if it's safe because we're not allowed to test it. It was a very convenient denial cycle that, you know, was almost impossible to break into. So the fact that they're willing to say, okay, now we're going to really take a look at it, in my mind, is significant, except, as you and I were talking about before the show started, saying that you're going to test it now to determine it's safe is also a bit precarious because, as we all know, people always have an agenda, and we don't know who's going to actually be doing the testing. We don't know what uh, biases they're going to come to the table with. We don't know who, when the people who have, you know, get the results, are they going to be forthcoming with everything? Are they going to just show the bad stuff and not the good stuff? And in fact, uh, we were talking about this last night, right? The, uh, the recent study that came out that said that they now believe that uh, smoking uh, marijuana could be more damaging on your lungs uh, for people rather than smoking cigarettes. Right, but as we pointed out, the half the people in that study that, that they showed this also smoke cigarettes. Exactly. So, but, but, I mean, I know people who read it and came to me and said, are you concerned about this? It wasn't readily apparent to the person who read the study. It becomes apparent to you and I or your good friend Ray because we go do the research and we figure out what's really underlying this. And then you realize this is just crazy, right? It was like when we were yelling at, um, who was it who was saying that... Uh, Kelly Conway, right? When she, when she was, Kelly was talking about overdoses and although we didn't necessarily agree on whether she was talking about overdoses for marijuana, the message went out there, you know, and, yeah. and, and all these messages. So, but, but, but don't you think this is a positive? I mean, like Joe Biden's already said to, to HHS and to, you know, the other uh, alphabet agencies, like, I want you guys getting back to me to, uh, to, to really decide whether or not we need to reschedule, deschedule, et cetera. The fact that he's getting a bill on this desk that's going to accelerate that process, and it really looks like that you know there's some seriousness attached to um, we need to take a second look from a federal perspective at you know where cannabis is placed and is there any harm to it. I would think that the harm study is probably step one to to accomplishing everything else that he's put forward. And if there really is an accelerated timeline, knowing that we're actually seeing step one of of you know was probably a three or four step process happen and happen almost immediately following his mandate of like go out there and look at this. I've got to think that there's um, a fair amount of positive momentum that comes from this, even if you do get the outlier of like, you know, the rehab companies that fund a study and say, oh, no, 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 it's terribly addictive and, you know, send people to rehab. So you know, obviously you need to look at who's, who's commissioning the studies. You need to look at who's conducting the other uh, research. But at least it's a positive sign that we're getting towards something that's, that's moving towards descheduling or rescheduling or, um, or just, you know, progress where, you know, FDA, DA, uh, DEA, and HHS all collectively have to come to a conclusion and put it back on the president's desk. Right. Absolutely. And 
look, the hope is, is at the end of the day, everybody will go through it. You know, I don't want to sound like uh, some of these Republican candidates and say, I'm not prepared to accept the results of this study unless the results are what I want them to be. But here's the thing. Marijuana has been smoked openly in this country for what, 70, 80 years at least, if not much more behind the scenes, you know, or that we just don't know about before that. We know that marijuana has a place in history back going, you know, 3,000 years or more. We have no report, recorded incidences ever of, of mass die-offs or people being negatively affected. There's no medical history to suggest that it's even possible. And, and the studies that we do know that exist, primarily from Israel, but other countries that have studied it as well, all conclusively demonstrate that marijuana is one of the safest substances you can use in terms of the fact that it won't kill you. And it, it's, it's, it's less addictive than alcohol, than, than nicotine, than tobacco. But we're going to play this game where we have to go do the research. And anytime somebody says that to me and pretends like reality doesn't already exist on the issue. I did the research last night. I used some. It worked. I'm okay. I'm podcasting. So I don't feel any different today than I felt when I woke up yesterday morning. Well, but it's, it's, so. more, it's more than that because you always get people who come out and will tell you very seriously that it causes schizophrenia. You know, I'm not an actor, doctor and I don't know. But again... I've been smoking for a lot of years, and I would say I've smoked with a lot of different people over those years, and some of them I keep in touch with, some of them I don't. But I've never heard anybody call me up and say, hey, man, remember that guy from freshman year who always used to smoke weed with us? Oh, man, he developed this really bad schizophrenia. Boy, it's... You know, Directly attributed to his cannabis use. We've never heard of it. There's no reports. There's no anything. Yeah. So, okay, fine. If you want to say we're going to take a quick look at it, but it's like what the, what the feds did with CBD. Oh, my goodness, where did this come from? We've never seen it before. I, I guess like, where I fall out on this is kind of like a, a closing point is we're, we're going to get the bad study or two, but I still look at this as, as major progress in the industry. And so I, I think we have to be happy that we're actually seeing bills go to the president's desk. I think we have to be happy that, you know, 10 years ago, if you told me a bill was going to hit the president's desk, not a chance. And that was when the industry was already, I mean, like, uh, we were already coming to MJ Biz 10 years ago, right? But if someone said, you know, expect to see a bill being signed, um, you know, by the, uh, by the Obama administration, I would have told you you're crazy. It's like there won't be anything that gets through the Senate. And something just did. So now that the question is, you know, what, what, kind of, what kind of deal flow are we going to see happening in the industry? I mean, like, we, we know this thing is moving, right? You know, for a long time, we've been sort of, um, you know, doomsday scenarioing what could happen to this industry. I think we're, we're reinvigorated by seeing what we're seeing here in Vegas. I mean, getting to see everyone here in one place and talking to a lot of execs. And, you know, when I was at Benzinga two months ago, everyone was, it was all doom and gloom. I, I saw people at Hall Flowers. It was even worse. Uh, everyone I'm talking to now, flower pricing is coming back up in California. I'm not seeing massive price compression happening anymore in Massachusetts. I'm, I'm not seeing, like, a lot of other issues that were, were happening. Um, you know, all the uh, uh, public cannabis companies are now, you know, significantly off their lows of six weeks ago. So they're not anywhere back to where they were in 21. But, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, 15 to, to 30% higher than they were in uh, the, the bottom part of their trough. The, the market sentiment right now, I think, is, is really changing, not just in terms of, you know, people in the industry, but the investment community as well. And I think that bodes, you know, very, very well for a lot of things. I mean, I think there's a still a tremendous amount of hope that in the lame duck session we see safe banking go through. But you know, even if even if we don't, based on what I'm seeing on this trade show floor, it's it's deal flow, and you know, as, as we like to say, and maybe it's time to play a little clip here, Dan. Is don't you let that deal go down, or wait until that deal goes down, you know? Because uh, there's there's always time in the canvas industry for another deal.
Yeah, well, besides the fact that that may be Jerry Garcia's best tune, and this is, happens to be a sterling example of it, the, the thing about any industry, I think, and, and what we're seeing here and why, why this is so important, because I was at Benzinga too, and I came away with a very negative vibe for it, and the vibe here is so positive. And it, it's, you know, maybe it's more deal flow, maybe it's just people being excited to come back out and see it and creating the possibility of more deal flow, uh, some combination of all of that. But what I've been noticing is the number of individual license holders rather than like an MSO, but people who will come in and say, well, yeah, I got a, I got a dispensary license from, you know, in Illinois or from here or from there. And they're walking through here talking to people about what equipment they, they actually want to buy. In other words, it's not just, oh, this is cool. I'll see you later. It's I, I, if I want to buy the equipment, I'm going to go to MJ Biz and get see everything that's out there, talk to all the experts. And have, be able to, have slots of fun on the way. <laughs> have slots of fun on the way, absolutely, right? But, but to me, that's what's important. If with investors, my sense is, you know, they, they ebb and flow and, you know, when, the, when the, the market's not quite as strong, there's probably not as many of them. When it's stronger, they come flocking out. But if they had had MJ Biz and the foot traffic was down considerably, then I'd really be worried because right. it's those people that are ultimately going out and buying and want to be supporting this industry. And the fact that so many of them are still showing up, I see as a real positive. Yeah, I do too. And then again, we had um, you know uh, Chris Walsh, the CEO of MJ Biz, on our show a few weeks ago. And Chris, before and after the show, let us know that he thought it was me a really positive show. And you know, I didn't know whether that was you know a little bit of hype or self promotion, but you know, he's put on an amazing event, and he's absolutely right that, that this thing is uh, it's back, it's big. Uh, I want to say thank you to all the MJ Biz people for for hosting us and for you know giving us some press credentials this year. Uh, thanks to Tess Woods for uh, for facilitating this for us and you know what they've created here, at least for uh, for the press and for the sort of podcasting community, is really really cool. That you know there's multiple studios that are set up right on the uh, the floor. You're able to watch the action as it as it happens around you. And I know with um, you know Dan Hummiston, our producer, has uh, Pod Connects with you know, 25 or 30 different podcasts and new ones signing up all the time that are all canvas related podcasts. And I think there's a very good chance that next year this will become a, a much more um, important part of, of this show of, you know, do we get all the podcasters in here that are all talking about their, their respective um, uh, niches within the industry and, and getting to broadcast it live from a, from a, um, a facility like this. It, it's super cool. I mean, it's, it's super cool to see how this whole thing has evolved. And I think from, in terms of getting the word out, you know, I think Chris and, uh, and his team have been very smart in you know, providing an, uh, a forum for you know, industry voices to, to get out there and speak directly from the show and, and see what their experiences are from the show. So, so thank you to the entire MJ Biz team. I would agree. And a, and a special shout out to Tess Woods for me because I am the uh, technologically inept one of the group. And uh, she was very patient with me in a few emails and on the phone a couple of times, uh, making sure that when I arrived here, they did in fact have a press pass for me. So thank you to Tess for getting that done. Um, and, and we're going to say lots of good things about MJ Biz, not just because of that, but because of what, as we're saying, you know, what a great experience it is today. And, and uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not even just that. It's, it's the fact that so many people that I know and so many of the businesses and, and I walk through and I see people at these uh, booths who I've been seeing for the last eight, nine, ten years. 
you know, and, and I know them just because I see them at MJ Biz. You know, I'm, I'm not in the industry in a sense that I'm buying any of the things that they're selling, but it's, you know, it's great to be able to catch up with them. It's like, oh, look at how big you guys have gotten. And oh my goodness, look at the, this new stuff you're doing. And that's where you, for me, that's where I get the most excitement out of everything is that these guys are very, very positive about what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. And <clears throat> the enthusiasm that's here is, as I said, much different than what we saw in some of these other recent shows. And the enthusiasm definitely seems to be returning to the industry. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that, that 2023 is going to be a, uh, a turnaround year for this space. 2022, I think, was, was pretty brutal. And I think that a lot of people um, have been very worried about you know, the health of the business and the health of the industry and sort of the domino effect. If you see you know, one failure, that failure precipitates another one. And all of a sudden, the, the counterparty risk that exists between suppliers and vendors and you know, other people you're doing work with, you know, if, if that can slow down or stop or the consolidation can reach a point where you, know, you actually have a, a healthy industry again, I mean, in every industry, I don't care what it is, when it takes off and it's euphoric for the first couple of years, there's going to be a lot of people that wash out and they're going to wash out because you know, their model didn't work. But the, unfortunately, they dragged down some other good ones with them. I'm hoping we're getting to the point now where you know, we're seeing a, a consolidation and we're seeing the, the groups that are supporting those groups you know, really take shape where you know, it's a bit more predictable. Where you know, when we show up next year at MJ Biz, it'll be the same brands that are still here. And the year after that will be the same brands. Or some new ones pop open, but they pop open because they're, they're you know, really, really innovative and, and really creative at what they do. Uh, instead of just you know someone that's got an idea and you know raise a couple million bucks from friends, family, and fools, and uh, and take it to market, and and I, I think we're we're largely past um, past that, and uh, you know that's for the first time in a while, uh, I'm pretty excited about the industry again. Yeah, absolutely, and even talking to some of my you know my colleagues, there, quick shout out to the the great Hoban crew that's always here, Bridget Hill Zayat, Janet Weltson, and her husband James my good buddy Steve Shane, Garrett Graff, and of course, Mr. Hoban himself, who I had a chance to sit and chat with. Um, and all of these people come in with a very positive attitude about what's going on, that it's worth their time to be here. It's worthwhile to be out of the office, you know, away from the billing model to get out here, even just for a few days to reconnect with people and to really kind of keep that, that mojo, if you will, going forward um, and, 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 and keep things fun and interesting. Because like anything, you, you know, I don't like to say this out loud, but even marijuana can, you know, reach its moments at time when, uh, you know, there's, a, there's either frustration that sets in or uh, a sense of we really need something new to get things going again. And, and quite frankly, you come out here and you see things. We see what's going on with Diddy and his business. We talking to Dan and we hear how busy Vankst is, you know, uh, his, his daughter, uh, Carson, running this company. And it, it, to me, Maybe that's the best indicator of all, right? If, if, if her business is so busy placing people in the industry, if people are hiring at that rate, that's got to be good news. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I'd agree. And the industry is still, obviously, you know, as, as every new market comes on, the need for talent increases. So, you know, it's, it, it's a cool thing. What I'll say is I've had to come to, to Vegas for conventions now for the better part of, you know, 25 years. Uh, before that, you know, here for dead shows and, you know, coming to Vegas, there's always sort of a love-hate relationship with it of like, uh, you know, like 24 hours is, is good, 48 hours is kind of where I max out. Anything longer is just, you know, you want to kill yourself by the time you leave. But, you know, there is a way to do it now where, where you don't have to, um, you know, to, to play it at both ends and, you know, burn the candle, I should say, on both ends. Uh, and it's been a really, really pleasant experience, you know, coming and seeing a mature industry instead of like when I first came to Vegas for the show, it was everybody in their marketing budget and just trying to show you the best time and trying to throw the biggest party and trying to hype the biggest thing and you know, who, what influences you had there. I'm seeing a lot less of that. I'm seeing a lot of blocking and tackling. I'm seeing a lot of people have you know, quiet dinners with, with key people and, and just trying to get work done. And again, you know, just 
deal flow, deal flow, deal flow, but not not based on euphoria and not based on like this like you know new burgeoning industry. I, I think, as I said, I think we're past that. You know, like I, I look back to the heyday of Colorado from like 2007 to 2014, where you know the, the cannabis industry was one of the greatest parties I've ever seen for you know seven or eight years, where it's just nonstop. Like I don't care what event you were at, it was just dominated by by you know the guys that are running cannabis companies. And I really think that we, we've seen this thing grow up, you know, in, in a really positive way. I think we have, and, and it definitely has grown up in a positive way. But let's be very clear, that doesn't mean that there's still not a lot of fun people here with a lot of amazing weed that they're bringing in. You can't bring it into the conference room here. You can't sell it on the floor. So someday we'll get beyond that, and you can actually buy it on the floor. And, and good events as well. I mean, there's definitely, like, nighttime evening programming, even though, like, you know, I, you and I haven't gone to it. it it's certainly there. But it's not like, you know, it's not like it used to be where, like, there's 30 different massive suites, each hosting, like, a, a ridiculous party that, like, it was a must, like, you know, must get to. Like, how do I get an invite? How do I, like, there's very, very much less of that than there was. And I think that's uh, because companies have smartened up to think, okay, well, if I'm protecting cash right now uh, on my balance sheet, it shouldn't be used to, to throw these ridiculous parties. It should be used to, you know, try to let people know you run a really solid business. Well, that's very true. And, you know, I've often debated with my good buddy, Steve Shane, the merits of, of going to these parties. And, you know, they always... Steve, Steve Shane's a party animal. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> that, that does have to be taken into account. But uh, some of the parties, I remember one year we were, uh, we were at, when at the Rio and we were all up at Ghost Bar. Somebody was having a huge party up at Ghost Bar at the top of the Palms. It was great fun. You know, they, they limited the crowd, really limited it so that you, you weren't totally squashed in. It was amazing views. You could go out on the deck and smoke a joint. And it was, it was a great, great party. You know, and then you go to other parties where you're trying to squeeze in the door just to get in. You have no hope of getting anywhere around the room with any ease whatsoever. And it, it's really a C&BC kind of event. Um, I, I don't do very well in those, I'll admit. So I, I tend to shy away from those and, uh, and not hit them as much. But, uh, you know, just being able to get together again with, with friends and people that I know and people from out here, and, you know, I love going into another city and going to a dispensary and finding out what they have and, you know, comparing it to what we have or don't have in Illinois. You know, the hotels can do whatever they want, but where there's a will, there's a way. So if you had to vote, do you like being here better for dead shows or, or being here better for MJ Biz? Well, you know, that's, that's going to be a really easy question to answer for me. Um, it's almost not fair because it's, you know, it's, uh, they're not both here at the same time where I could actually have to be in that situation. But if it did, if it existed, I would be at the dead show in a heartbeat. And I would just send my best regards to my friends at MJ Biz and say, love you all next year. Don't schedule opposite the Grateful Dead. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, it's no question for me either. I mean, I'd certainly much rather be here for, uh, for the Grateful Dead. But in many ways, they're both lots of fun. <laughs> yes, they are. They are. And, and um, Slots of Fun was always a popular stopping off point after... Uh, Grateful Dead shows. In fact, I, I, I I, I'm pretty sure Jim Marty was actually um, the uh, the um, the dealer on the roulette table for a few years. He might very well. But I was just going to say that Jim Marty was a big fan of Slots of Fun uh, after after the shows, right over there by uh, Circus Circus. What, what do they call him? The croupier on the craps table. I, I, I think he may have been the croupier for a couple of years. And it would have worked out well for him. He's one of the guys who could pull it off. Absolutely. <laughs> No, but it was always great because here's the thing. When you came for the Grateful Dead, the marijuana was here. Maybe not quite as organized as this, but it wasn't that we were lacking for marijuana. Yeah, but, but, but that, back then we were scared to have marijuana here. You know, like, like now I walked up and down the strip right now 
and like you can't go anywhere without smelling weed. In fact, you walk one step out the door of this uh, convention center, and all you smell is just like you know, tons of weed. And there isn't a single person anymore that says a thing about it. They might say it inside the hotels, but the rest of this town is as cannabis friendly as it comes. And that was not the case. I mean, we talked about it before that just how you know tough Nevada was, and just you know with drugs in general. But Nevada now is like one of the most hospitable places, and it's one of those things that you always like wondered, like, okay, they accept every other vice, you know, like, you know, between you know drinking twenty four seven and strip clubs everywhere and all the other things, you know, pawn shops everywhere, all the stuff that you associate with kind of like, you know, negative vice. You know, why was cannabis always considered um, you know taboo, and now it's uh, it's very much you know, ingrained in the fabric of of this community, which I think is is really really cool, and that like they've been. Such hospitable hosts. When 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 Chris Walsh and uh, Cassandra Farrington and, and that whole team decided to bring this conference to Vegas for the first time, I think there was a lot of trepidation of, of how will be how will we be received there. I mean, that was the reason it was in Denver the first year and it was in Washington State the second year. But you know, Vegas hadn't you know Nevada hadn't really changed their laws when they came here the third year. And I remember that year going to parties and being you know on like you know rooftop decks like you were saying where you, people were getting thrown out for for cannabis use. And that is definitely not happening anymore. That's, you know, like I've seen, I've seen pretty overt use all over this town and not just by the people at this conference, by people that just are like part of this community. Well, I think that that's being said, you know, we can say that luckily for a lot of the communities that have now allowed uh, uh, adult use and, and medical, but certainly adult use in, into their, into their uh, uh, globe of acceptable behavior. And it, it's a wonderful thing to see. I just always still get caught up with the hypocrisy of it, and you know, I, I rail on it, and I was railing on it earlier today, but everybody's in on it except, say, the hotels, right? And, and the problem with the hotels is, look, yeah, if I burn down your hotel, I get it, that's a problem, but if I burn down your hotel, I imagine I may have a lot of other problems on my hand, too. But look at who owns the hotels. It's Sheldon Adelson, you know, one of the biggest contributors to, to you know, very conservative politics. It's Steve Wynn, another, like, I mean, he was one of the three guys that ran fundraising for the Republican Party. It's it's the Trump, you know. She doesn't have a casino floor, but you know, there's there's a lot of hotel magnets in this town that are that are relatively conservative guys. But and they ply their guests with more alcohol than you could ever even imagine. And you know, the idea, of course, is we'll keep you happy, we'll keep you drunk, and you'll sit here and gamble all night. And I suggest that people fall asleep after a little while after drinking. And if you smoke the right marijuana, you stay up all night gambling, convinced, absolutely convinced that this is your night. The stars are all aligned. And your, you know, your number's coming up on the roulette wheel. The, the ace is coming out of the deck on the... I, I can tell the queen of diamonds by the way she shines. Absolutely. They're damn right. That's absolutely right. And so, I, you know, look, whatever. It, 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 change is slow. Come to daddy on the inside straight. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, he knew what he was talking about. Yeah, this is it, very true. Without very a true. doubt. So, um, just switching back over to the music side for a minute, I finally saw my first Umphrey's show this past weekend. Uh, my good friends Rick and Joel took me, and it was a great show for any one of a number of reasons, not the least of which is uh, that one of my buddies is, was, again, right on the heels of our psychedelic show last week. They now have these little liquid spray bottles that you just spray a little bit on your tongue. It's like when you used to have to use the chloroseptic when you had a sore throat, only now it's LSD, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great experience and made a, uh, certainly gave me uh, the strength and energy to stand up there for uh, Three, three sets of what, what, each over an hour apiece. It was an um bowl. For those of you in Umphreys, you'll know what I mean. Um, they played a lot of great tunes. There was a lot of voting by the audience in terms of what song they wanted. Uh, Althea was one of the songs that was listed in one by a landslide. They played a beautiful version of Althea. And uh, they got a great sense of humor, too. They, they were talking the whole time and joking with everybody. I was very impressed. 
Yeah, they're, they're such a great band. They're such great guys. So I'm really glad you finally got a chance to see them. And it's one of those bands that you know, you've always told me you don't have any more capacity to, to get to know new bands, and you've kind of maxed out on, on Fish, The Grateful Dead, and Garcia Band, maybe one or two others. But you know, adding Umphreys to the, uh, the mix is certainly another good one to have as part of the, uh, the repertoire. You know, as I said, I've always advocated for Mo as well for the same reason. I know you're starting to get into the goose thing because you've got you know, your, your son's friends that are pushing you on it. But Umphreys, I mean, in terms of like a true prog rock um, group and having, you know, again, um, uh, Ryan Stasek is one of the best bass players in the game and, and Jake Sinninger and, uh, and Brendan Bayliss are definitely like as a one-two punch on guitar. I'd put them against, you know, almost anyone besides maybe the best of the Allman Brothers, like one, two punches. But they're, they're certainly up there with like when God Street Wine had low and low and uh, Faber. Uh, those guys were uh, were amazing. There, there aren't too many bands where you can think of where, you know, they trade licks between the, uh, the, the number one, and the number two, that their solos are, are equally as good as each other. And I think Jake and Brendan have very, very unique styles uh, in the same way that like in Mo Al Shire does with um, with Chuck Garvey. Yeah, and, and it is nice for me to get out and see some new bands. And, and, you know, the frustrating part for me always was when I go to the Dead shows, I know all the songs. If I go to these other bands, I don't necessarily know the songs. And now I don't care. Now I just go, it's great music, it's a lot of fun, great atmosphere, great people there. And, you know, I knew Althea, and I knew one or two other tunes that they had played. Um, I'm not a big, I don't have all the, any of their albums. Um, but, you know, now I'm, it's piqued my interest enough that I'll certainly listen to them, and I'll check them out the next time they come through. Very cool. Well, I think it's time to get back out there to your fans, Larry. There's enough um, people still knocking on the windows waiting for you. I uh, hope you brought a Sharpie because it's going to take you a while to get out this door. But, uh, but yeah. I, think, I think you might be able to fight off the hordes and, uh, and, and make it back out to the floor. And maybe it's time we go out there and uh, see if there's any uh, wares worth sampling and checking out. But I have the feeling that um, on a Friday, I've always found that the last day of trade shows is the day that trade shows give a lot of things away. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a pretty good day if you go out there and just start collecting uh, whatever it is that you want to try out because uh, I think they're going to be relatively generous at this point. I'm sure hoping. Yeah. Well, again, thank you to MJ Biz. Uh, thank you to our producer, Dan Hummiston, for setting up a, uh, a really fun experience here at MJ Biz for us. That's it for me. Looking forward to getting back to the home studio next week. But until then, um, goes to show you don't ever know. Watch each card you play and play it slow and out from Las Vegas. I have to agree with you on that. Um, I would also say to our listeners, I hope you all have a very happy Thanksgiving holiday, and uh, we will look forward to talking to you after that. Uh, Live from MJ Biz, Larry Mishkin, Rob Hunt, Dan Humiston, telling you all uh, have a great week, have fun, and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton 
host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did. Thank you.